The past few weeks we've been looking at some of the texts out of what we call uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And today we come to a section that probably gets explained away more than any other of Jesus' teachings. It seems like as soon as we read these words, we begin to want to say, but let me tell you what Jesus really meant to say. So today we're going to try to let him say what he said. Uh, and try to see where that can fit into who we are and what we're called to do. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this. This is the gospel, the very words of our Lord and Savior Jesus as he was telling those people how they should live in the kingdom, and therefore he tells us as well. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give him your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy. (laughs) Excuse me little Freudian slip there. (laughs) You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. And he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. May God bless the reading of his word. Okay. How many of you can relate to the words, wax on, wax off? (laughs) Yeah. Paint the fence, sand the floor. Those are words that come from an old movie called Karate Kid. And I think one reason that movie is so burned into my mind, that that came along about the time that we all got VCRs. And and used to, you know, you just went to a movie, you saw the movie. You might go back if you really liked it. But with the advent of VCRs and now DVDs and all these other things, then you know, they just go on and on and on. And, and my kids bought that movie and watched it and watched it and watched it. Uh, it's an interesting movie about a young man who needs to learn how to fight back, how to defend himself. And so he decides he needs to learn karate. And he goes to this master of karate, Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. You know this movie, don't you? And he's wanting to learn how to do all the karate and how to fight and everything. And Mr. Miyagi puts him to work doing these chores, waxing his car. And he's very specific about how he waxes the car. Wax on, wax off. And then he goes back thinking, now I'm going to learn karate. And then he paints the fence, paint the fence. And then he goes back thinking, I'm going to learn karate. And then he sands the floor, sand the floor. But then... When it turns out that Mr. Miyagi starts throwing some karate moves at him, he discovers that in that training, he's developed all the right moves. 
Well, that kind of reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I know that most of the time you probably sit around thinking, you know, the Sermon on the Mount reminds me a lot of the Karate Kid. Well, let me tell you where we're going with this. Because oftentimes we come to Christ, we come to the kingdom of heaven, we want to be a part of this thing, and we want it to be like fireworks going off. We want to, as soon as we become children of God, for everything to be good. For us to feel so close to God and just to have the answers to everything and it just be a wonderful life because, after all, we are in the kingdom of heaven. And yet, we come into the kingdom of heaven and we hear Jesus, our master teacher, putting us to work doing some simple chores, chores that are hard work, chores that are rather repetitive. And yet, I believe that if we learn to work on these things and work hard on them, then we'll begin to discover whenever we're really challenged and when life gets tough that we develop the right moves and we're able to stand. For example, last week we talked about how Jesus was telling people that when you come to the kingdom of heaven and you commit to the kingdom of heaven, you are committing to relationships. You become a person that values relationships. For to be in the kingdom of heaven, you have to be that kind of person. You have to put yourself out to form relationships, maintain relationships, and to repair relationships. So if in a relationship someone gets angry, whether it's you or the other person, you care about that, and you try to address that. And in fact, he said, even when you come and you're trying to worship God, before you worship God, stop and think, if there's someone that you're really having difficulty with, you need to go work on that relationship before you then come and worship God. And then he goes on to talk about the most intimate relationship that we have, marriage. And those of you who are married, that that is your training place. That is the, the ultimate place where you learn what it's like to have a relationship with God. Yeah, I want to be close to God. Well, God says, well, work on being close to somebody. Learn what that's like. Commit yourself to that marriage completely. Give your energy there. And as you learn the moves of waxing and sanding and painting in that relationship, you're really learning how to be close to God and be close and intimate with Him as well. Because you see, God is the ultimate reconciler. God is the ultimate relationship being. And he, in order for, to have a relationship with us, was willing to give up his son to the death, the burial, then the resurrection, so that he could be close to us and we could be close to him. And since God spent so much energy and effort to reconcile us to himself, then we as his children are called upon to be people who reconcile and people of relationship. Well, today we have another challenge in this text. We are called upon, if we want to be committed to the kingdom of heaven, 
to be committed to. Now, there's a lot of ways we could say this. Certainly, if we look over this passage we just read, we're committed to love. We're committed to prayer. We're committed to doing good. But I want to sum all these up in a different way. I think what Jesus is saying here, that if we want to be children of the kingdom of heaven, and we make our commitment to the kingdom of heaven, we are making a commitment to being creative people. Why is that? Well, God is a creator. And notice I said God is a creator, not God was a creator. Now, he was a creator because in the past, as far as time goes, of course, God created time, which really can start blowing your mind when you start playing with that one about being outside. But anyway, we're not going to do that today. But God created everything in the beginning. He made the stars. He made the universe. He made this planet. He made you. He gave us a world to live in. But God did not stop creating on that sixth day. I know he took a break. But God has continued to be a creator throughout the existence of the universe. He continues to make things and to make new things. One of the most interesting things to me is go through your uh, concordance sometime and look at the word new and go and read, especially in the book of Isaiah, the various times that God says, I'm excited I'm going to do something new today. God is always looking for new things to do. And one of the the most wonderful things he does is that whenever we have suffered loss, whenever we have destroyed something in our own lives by our own sin, or we have lost one that we love very much, or we've lost something we've loved very much, Well, in our way of thinking, the only thing we could do to ever be happy again is if we could get that back. And yet so many things we lose in this life, we can't get back. Can we? They're gone. But God steps in, and if we will trust him with our loss, he'll create something new. Isn't that what Romans 8.28 is all about? For those of us who love God, God works all things together for good. He's not saying everything that happens to us is something good. But he says if we love him and trust him, he will take the pieces of our lives and will weave them into something new, something good. Well, I like talking about that, but I've got to get on with this. God is a creator. God is filled with creativity. And if we want to be his children, we are called upon to be creative people as well. Let me show you what I mean by that. Back to our text. Jesus begins by quoting the Old Testament, the old law on justice, where he says, You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, that does several things. One, it gives permission to seek justice if you've been harmed. Another thing it does, it puts a limit on how much vengeance you can seek. 
If someone causes you to lose an eye, you can't put that person to death. You can only cause them to lose an eye. So really, even this old form sort of limits vengeance at least to equal and, and, and like reactions. But Jesus wants to set that aside and go beyond, as we talked about last week. Go to the real heart of God. And he says, I've got something different for you to work on. I want you to be more creative than that. He says, don't resist the evildoer. Now, that word resist almost sounds like he's saying just roll over and play dead, be a doormat, let evil just run right over you. We know he's not saying that from what he's going to say here in a minute. And what the, the, the passage that we read out of Romans said as well, where Paul was emphasizing some of the same teachings that are going on here in the Sermon on the Mount. We know that's not the issue. It's not that, okay, if someone wants to do something bad to you, just say, come on, bring it on. Just, just treat me as bad as you can. But what he's saying when he says don't resist, the Greek word that he uses there is antistemi, which means to set in opposition, which means almost to mirror, which means that you're not supposed to throw back what that person threw at you. You've got to be more creative than that. If someone throws a rock at you, don't pick that rock up and throw it right back at them. If someone gives you evil, don't send evil back to them. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 12 that we read a moment ago. Do not return evil for evil. But like I said, neither does he say, let evil win. Let evil triumph. Just be run over by the evil. No. On the other hand, he says, stand up to it and fight it with everything you've got. Romans 12 again at the end, it says, do not let evil win overcome evil but the creative part comes whenever you choose your weapon to fight it what are you going to fight evil with are we going to use the old uh, adage fight fire with fire well that may be effective on grass fires but it doesn't work on evil Paul and Jesus are both saying don't fight fire with fire when you're fighting fire, why don't you try using some water? And when you're trying to put out evil, why don't you try some love? Why don't you be creative enough to figure out in this situation how you can diffuse it, how you can counter it, how with all this hate, or with all this evil going on, that you can be the one that interjects some good who puts love into the mixture. Now, Jesus is going to go on and give three examples on what he means by that. And these examples are very well known to us, and we debate them a lot about what they mean. And, and I think, and I apologize to first service, because I, I really hate to put words in Jesus' mouth, and who am I to say this is what Jesus was saying, uh, but I think what Jesus would say to us is, is now, don't get hung up so much on these examples, they're just examples. I want you to be thinking creatively, because you probably will not be in these particular situations, but let these sort of get your juices flowing, and you think, now how can I react in love? 
the three situations he gives. One is, the first one is someone slaps you on the cheek. Now here we're not talking so much about physical injury as we're talking about insult. A slap across the cheek was especially in that day a form of insult. It was something demeaning. And Jesus was saying, if someone insults you, if someone slaps you on the cheek, just look at them like, huh? Yeah, what? What What was was that? Yeah, I don't get it. That was an insult. Turn to the the other cheek. You know, that's not a passive response. This is passive. (laughs) This is not. Like, hmm. What happens if someone insults you and you don't get it? (laughs) You don't feel insulted. It doesn't work. You know, sometimes I, I talk to folks about in situations where someone keeps pushing one of their buttons and, and it's somebody's just doing something that just drives them crazy. I say, you know, you can disconnect that button if you want to. You don't have to respond when they push that button. It can just be out of order. And they may be trying to push you. They may be trying to make you angry. They may be trying to insult you. And you just don't get it. We've worked with our grandson. We have a seven-year-old grandson that, bless his heart, such a darling. But he's got a three-year-old brother. And any of you who have brothers that are three or four years older than you, you know, it's tough. And, and he gets his toys out and he's starting to play. Well, his toys are bigger kid toys than his little brother's toys are. And so he thinks that the little brother ought to leave the toys alone. Well, the little brother just delights in tormenting him. So the big boy gets his toys out, and he's playing, and he doesn't want the little brother touching the toys. Well, you know what the little brother's going to do. He walks right up, and he steps on the toy. And the seven-year-old goes, Wah! You're stepping on my toy. Stop it. Stop it. So we take him aside and say, you know, he only does that because you scream when he does it. That is the only reason that he's doing that. And if you won't scream, he'll quit doing it. Okay, okay. Just, just don't get it. Don't notice it, and he'll get bored with it. He'll go do something else. Okay, he understands the logic. So he gets his toy that puts it on. Here comes the little brother, and the big brother goes, Ah! <laughs> it's, just, it's just so hard not to respond. And Jesus says, just stop the evil right there. If someone insults you, do you have to respond? Do you have to strike back? Isn't there a way that you can inject some good and some love? Another example he gives is if you get taken to court and sued for your coat. Not for us a real practical example, but you have to sort of do some translating. But people back then only wore coats and cloaks. They had two pieces of clothing on. And Jesus saying, if you're in court and the guy's saying, you've got to give me that coat. And even if you think it's unfair, he said, give it to him and just take the other off and hand it to him too. And you're standing there naked. What do you think he's going to feel like? (laughs) Is that a way maybe to push it to the limit where he begins to realize his greed? And and you've taken the power of what he's trying to accomplish to make you angry and to take what's yours and when you just willingly give it. And the story about going a mile and the second mile, you've all heard the explanation about the Roman army, the occupation army, being able to grab someone along the way and make them carry their pack one mile, but they couldn't make them carry it more than one mile. And he said, just take away the initiative. If the guy wants you to carry his pack, don't fuss and gripe. You know, that just kind of makes him feel powerful. But all of a sudden, you're going another mile. Well, where's his power? 
You know, you're doing more than he, he can make you do, and suddenly you're the one with the initiative. Well, those are things to get you going and to thinking. In my situation, what can I do? And when someone slaps me in the face or something happens in my life, rather than getting angry and striking out, what is it that I can do in this situation that will bring some love, that will bring some good, so that the good and the love will overcome the evil. Jesus goes on to say that it's really good in that situation to start praying. (laughs) If you want to be a person of prayer, give yourself to this discipline because you're going to have to be thinking hard sometimes when bad things are going on around you about how you can respond in a loving way that's also a powerful way, one that's going to make evil realize how evil it is and can overcome that evil. Jesus says, pray for your enemies. No, don't pray that they'll get theirs. Don't pray that they'll have terrible times too. Just lift them up in prayer and ask for God to bless them in ways they need to be blessed. Heal them in ways they need to be healed. Pray for yourself too, because sometimes, you know, your enemies have a right to be angry with you, and maybe you don't even see that. But pray about this whole situation. And while you're praying, pray that you can think of something good to do. Help me, Lord, to know in this situation that is such a mess what I can do that will be a force for love and for good and that will fight the evil that's all around me. There's a lady I was visiting with not long ago told me a story and how in just a little way, and, and you know, That's the thing I wanted to emphasize, too. These principles of encountering or or countering evil with good, so many times we start with, okay, now how's that going to work with the United States and the the, the Muslims, you know? We want to jump to there and say, well, how's that going to work if if they slap us and we just say, oh, that didn't hurt, you know? Well, okay, but I want to challenge you, don't start there. Let's start here. And then by the time we get there, maybe we'll have a better answer for that. Why don't don't we start with the evil and the strains that are going on in your life, and you work on them in the little ways. And then maybe as you wax the car and sand the floor and paint the fence, you'll become strong enough to deal with those bigger questions out there. Well, I was talking to this lady, and and she was telling me about something that, that reminded me of something small, but very significant. She's telling me that when she was a younger woman, her husband had several habits that just drove her crazy. Now that was enlightening to me because I didn't know husbands ever had habits that drove their wives crazy. All right? But he said, she said, he's a sweet man, but he just did some things that drove me crazy. For example, he would stand up in front of people and talk and jingle the change in his pocket while he did that. He would do that even teaching Bible class you know, and she said she just was about to scream by the time Bible class was over, and he wouldn't quit jingling the change in his pocket. And then when he would go to the store to pay for something, and the clerk told him how much it was, he'd dump everything out of his pocket onto the counter, you know, his knife, his keys, his money, and start digging through it. And she was just so embarrassed. And I said, oh, can't believe he's doing that. And then especially the thing that really bothered her, she would be telling him this very interesting story, and his attention would just sort of wander away. 
And, and, and he wouldn't, you know, listen to the end of her story. So she was really wrestling with these monumental problems in their marriage. And she read an article about how if you've got these little things in your marriage, what you ought to do is both of you sit down and write out a list of the bad habits of the other person. This, I don't know why the editor ever published this baby. But anyway, write out the bad list, you know, the things that really are bugging you about the, uh, the other person does that bugs you. And then you switch lists. So she got her husband to agree to do this. So they sat down, and she had her piece of paper, and boy, she was writing, and she had been thinking for, you know, a long time, and she was writing all these terrible things that he did that just drove her crazy. Well, sure enough, she looked over, he was writing away, too, and she thought, oh, good, you know. And, of course, she couldn't imagine what he was writing about, but anyway, there he was, he was writing along. And so finally it came time, and they switched lists, and he began to read his rather lengthy list of all these terrible things he did. There was only one thing written on his piece of paper she gave to her, and it was, My dear, I love you far too much to allow the little habits to be of a concern to me. She said that she had intended that encounter to change someone, and it did. But she was the one who was changed. Because in that instance, he had found a loving way to respond, a way in which love conquered anger and frustration. And folks, it's hard to do. It would be nice if in our Bible, every situation you will ever encounter in life was detailed and the right thing to do was given after that, wouldn't it? But to be a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, you're called upon to be people who become creative folks who are just looking for ways to bring the love of God and the goodness of God to bear in whatever situation you find yourself in. And the reason you're called to do that and be that is because God brought his mercy into your life of sin. He brought your love, his love, into your life when you hated him. He brought you back to himself. His goodness has conquered our evil. Let's stand and sing.